you would please follow along in the reading of the word. Verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so, so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, who ends will be according to their deeds. Verse 20, for you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, and anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, and anyone hits you in the face. Father, teach us today as we look at this contrast between the false and the true. And the Father, may we see this. May we understand this. And Father, may we hold those around us who profess to be teachers to this standard that we may know and that they may know that this is the credentials of a true apostle, a true messenger, a true servant, a true teacher, a true preacher, a true shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. To your glory and to your praise in Christ's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is jumping right in the middle of it. Basically, he doesn't name specific names, but when you understand that there was a conflict in this church, it has been restored to some degree. And yet the false are still going to be sitting there. And if you read this letter, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And these people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Everybody in the congregation is going to know who he's talking about. All right. Everybody's going to know right off the bat. All right. And so one of the things that I want us to think about is that the Apostle Paul is basically contrasting his ministry with their ministry. Okay, he is showing what a true servant of the Lord looks like compared to these people who were accusing him of things. These people who were false. We see the mark of a true and we see the mark of the false. The true is a humble servant. The true servant of Jesus Christ is endowed in truth. That is the essence of who they are. It is not only something that they have in their mind. It is not only something that they speak. It is something that they are. But he is also immersed in love. This is completely opposite to what a false one is. A false one is prideful. They're everywhere. You can see men and women today who say that they are speaking thus for Christ and they are servants of Christ and yet they boast in everything. But they are also deceptive. False teaching runs parallel to truth, but that never intersects. 
And they lay it right alongside. It's just like we all know what the Bible says. God helps those who help themselves. Right? I mean, you can quote that almost like our president's been quoting scripture. You know, do not throw stones in a glass house. That's what Jesus said. Do you know how much glass existed when Jesus was arrived? <laughs> just a question. Okay. You can't, you can't judge somebody if you've got a beam in your eye and you've got a moat in yours. A moat. Okay. I, that's what I was thinking. A moat. Okay. But do you see that, that's, the stuff I hear all the time, it, it's common. And that's just what people do. And I, 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 it gets worse than that. I've heard pastors say that they give God permission to heal. Really? That is truly gracious of you. I don't understand some of this. And yet nobody, well, you know, if you say something, you're being divisive. And I'm going to deal with that. Let me show you the Apostle Paul's credentials. I listen to a lot of people tell me why they were called. You know, people ask me, Terry, how did you know you were called? <laughs> I still don't know. <laughs> The the only reason that I'm here is no one wants this. <laughs> okay, um, the everybody else left, <laughs> and I was just standing there. Uh, and and well, I tell you what, I learned a very valuable lesson: don't just stand there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, keep, keep moving, and you got to do like Paul, Paul told Timothy: flee. <laughs> but anyway. I, I, the, the, I listen to these stories about how, you know, I had a calling or I had this or I had that. And, and you know what? Let me give you Paul's calling. All right. And you see that we'll look at it a little more because he gives out his credentials for what he's doing. Chapter 11, verse 23 and following. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, received five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and the night I spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from in the city and dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, dangers from among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Anybody want to sign up for the ministry? That sure is a lot different than what I hear propagated in this day and age. It's a lot different. And you know what? It's not the norm. You can go outside of this country. And you will be shocked at the oppression that is coming again. Did you hear about the four kids? Under 14 years of age, ISIS took control of and told them to denounce Christ. Under 14, four boys. Denounce Christ, accept Islam. Four boys under 14 years of age. 
You know what? They wouldn't do it. And they cut their heads off. Brothers and sisters, I hate to break the news to you. That's the norm. I read to you what was going on with Philip. And we are always told that the Sikhs and the Hindu are peaceful. And an Australian missionary and his three boys were in a car sleeping. They were in India and the Hindus burned the car to the ground with the people in it. They're peaceful. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? And yet here, if you try to approach someone and say what you're saying is false, who is the bad guy? Do you see what I mean? It's amazing. Which brings me to, I look at the Apostle Paul, his doctrine ruled his life. And once you step into that venue, you will learn what it is to be sustained by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Verse 11. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. What does this mean? Listen, Paul would have been an embarrassment to the Corinthians. Do you understand that? And the church. Remember what I showed you. What did he do while he was in Corinth to make for his meals? He worked. He was a leatherman. He was a tradesman. He was a craftsman. All right? That would have been embarrassing for the Corinthians. All right? Because, and here's the reason I want you to think about this. You're following a new teacher who is in town. He has a new teaching. He has a new philosophy. How much does he charge for this teaching? What do you mean I didn't charge nothing for it? Well, how does the guy live? He works with his hands. He is a craftsman. Are you telling me this man with a new teaching, a new philosophy, a new understanding, a new enlightenment is doing slaves work? He can't be elite if he's sitting around sewing hides together. Tell me I'm wrong is that's not true of today. Where did you go to school? Okay, I received my pastoral skills from the Colombian cartel. Okay, just in case you want to know where I went to school. If he works with his hands, how in the world is he intellectual? Okay, you see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, the Corinthians do the same thing we do today. And you know what? If you're following such an individual, that's embarrassing. A free teacher who makes tents. 
How could he give you advice on anything? Would a great philosopher, would a great orator do such a thing? You know what we call that today? That person has soft hands. My uh, great-grandfather was a a horseman. He uh, bought and sold horses. He was very, very, very successful. Okay? (laughs) He did not have soft hands. And everybody that would come and board their horses or have him train their horses, he would always smile at them, shake their hand, and he'd smile at me and say, Soft hands. And I remember him teaching horses. He literally could teach a horse by a hand gesture. Okay, to do whatever he wanted. I remember a guy got on a horse, a beautiful Palomino. And the guy was riding it around by the the stock tank. And I watched him go like this. He just moved his hand like that. And the horse laid down. Rider on him. Just, I'm done. And you're sitting there going, there, there you go. <laughs> okay. And, you know, the guy thought he broke it. <laughs> I, I broke the horse. Okay. But that's the way they were. But he did not have soft hands. And I, wa- I watch that and I think about that today because there are people that you'll shake their hands and you know they work with their hands. Okay. But what I have watched is our society looks down on those people. But you know what I learned about those people? They don't tend to get out, be put out of work. All right? They keep working. They may not make as much as they did a year ago, but they do keep working. Why? They have a talent that not everybody has. All right? The Apostle Paul could keep working. Let's be realistic. Leather work at the time of the Corinthian leathers would be a great trade. Right? The apostle of Christ, how could he work with his hands and have the dignity of being called a messenger of Christ? You know, if he doesn't charge money for his teaching, he must stink. Okay? And he must not love you because if he doesn't take your money, he has no obligations nor accountability to you. I watch this today in the rate of pastors that come and go through churches. They have no obligation. Why? I, for lack of a better phrase, they're mercenaries. How much will you pay me? All right? Look around. The only person that I saw moving from church to church in the histories of the church that was legitimate were the apostles and they were building new churches, raising up leaders, men qualified that they taught inside that church that they may take over after he moved on to the next city that he went to. I don't see that today. I don't see the loyalty in the pastorate. And you know what? It's a two-way street. Sometimes the people run them off. I give you that. 
But most of the guys, I talk to pastors in this state right now that says that what they're trying to do is get enough time here that they can get a church in Texas. Okay, I have a friend who ministers in Texas at special conferences on a regular basis. And he said when he first started helping the churches in Texas, he says, you were successful in Texas if you were a pastor and you drove a Cadillac. He says, now a successful pastor in Texas drives a Bentley. And he says, the people in Colorado do not pay their pastors. And so I spend my time in Colorado until I can get an opening, a calling in Texas. All right. Those are people who are in it for a vocation. It's a job. Perhaps Paul wasn't called if he didn't charge. Perhaps Paul didn't love them. Because he didn't take their money. He has no connection to them. He has no real love for them. And the Apostle Paul answers this allegation with this simple statement. Because I do not love you. That would be the accusation. And Paul's phrasing of that question is, You really believe that? That I do not love you? And it's obvious that they had bought into it. But if you go back, what more evidence do you need? You can go back. Chapter 1, he says, I wrote to you of my sufferings. Chapter 2, he says, I wrote to you the severe letter with many tears. Chapter 4, he says, my affliction was I was being crushed by you. I was living with death Every day in chapter 4, in chapter 6, in chapter 11, chapter 12, he deals with what more he does to show his love. And yet, the false would say, he doesn't charge you, so how can he love you? He has no obligation to you. Chapter 12, verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. And if I love you more, am I to be loved less? I will give my life away to get you the gospel. Unbelievable that you would believe that I don't love you. He could love them so much sacrificially. And he would ask nothing from them. And you know what? Some were gullible enough to believe that he didn't love them. Alright? He was not taking money because he didn't love them. Let me tell you something. That is the subtlety of Satan's lies. I've already told you that spiritual warfare has nothing to do with demons and spooks and spells and casting out and binding up and all that other stuff. That is that is a lie from the pit of hell just to get you confused. It is dealing with the thinking processes of the individuals. It is a battle for the mind. It is that simple. But he is crafty. He is clever. 
So the Apostle Paul, being accused that he doesn't love them, because I do not love you, is his question. It's sort of like, you really believe that? That I don't love you? Where could Paul turn? Do you not remember being with you night and day? Giving you information going from house to house? Encouraging, confronting. And you know what? He doesn't have to go there. Is this what happens when I love you? That I get less love from you? Is that the plan? Listen, he can only do one court of appeal. They know his life. He was with them for two years. Day in and day out. House to house. He says here, God knows I do. See, that's what Paul's left with. If the true teacher is accused by the congregation that he doesn't love them, (laughs) if he's poured himself out for them, he sacrificed his life for them, he endured all this stuff for them, and they say, well, you don't love us. What do you do? He has nowhere else to turn. The ultimate place of his rest, the Apostle Paul's rest, even when you're falsely accused. You need to mark that down. Because I got news for you, brothers and sisters. If you take a stand on truth, and your life is that truth, you will be accused. And I can bet the farm that you will be accused of being unloving. Regardless of what you've done. And you have only one place of rest when you are falsely accused. God knows. When the false accusers come up against you, and they will, if you're a true servant, know this. And they will accuse the true servant of being Unloving. Unloving. He doesn't really love you. He is a true proclaimer of truth is not a loving person. Brothers and sisters, if I had a nickel for every time I was accused of being unloving, I would be an extraordinarily wealthy man. All right? It is a very common criticism of, of true teachers. They're unloving. Why? Well, I hate to break the news to you. Unloving preachers who stand in truth are going to confront you. And if you confront me, guess what? You don't like me. You made me feel bad. I had a family in here one time. It's been, well, no, it's not been that long ago. Anyway, they left. Okay, they were involved. They worked in the church. 
I mean, they, you know, they helped out. Uh, they gave to the church and all the rest of it. And they finally left. They and walked out. And I ran into them and they said, do you... <laughs> you know, since we've gone, nobody's called me. I didn't know you were gone. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> just kidding, people. And I said, well, um, well, I figured you just went to another church. They had some kids and maybe you wanted a bigger youth something or other. And you know what they said? And they were with us for maybe seven years, eight years. You know what they said to me? Every time I hear you preach, it's like you're taking a hammer and smacking my toes. And he says, I just got tired of it. You just aren't that loving. What, you want me to kiss your feet? Okay, I get it from this way. You just have to learn to say it differently. Well, truth is truth is truth. <laughs> I was accused one time, you're too confident about what you're saying. <laughs> All right, why? Because you're not loving. It's amazing. Listen, true teachers, and I've showed you this, they are clear. They defend truth. They defend doctrine. They separate truth from error. And they are always deemed unloving. Because they don't tolerate the error. I've already shared with you that the war that exists and has since the Garden of Eden. Truth versus the lie. And if you're living in a lie and someone hits you with truth, what's your first response? Don't tell me. You don't understand where I came from. Listen, it hasn't changed. I wish that people would. And yet, you know what? That there is the essence of spiritual warfare. Truth versus the lie. And it's for the mind. And the mind chases a lie with disregard for anything. Why? Because humanity in its essence is gullible. When they accuse you of being unloving, you have to answer the way the Apostle Paul. Why? Because there is nowhere else you can go. I've lifted up the word of God, which is the truth of God. It is against the lie of Satan. Go tell somebody, you know, I think you're following Satan. Give it a shot. Okay. You know, that's a doctrine of demons you're listening to right there, you know. Okay. But a true servant of God says, this is truth. This is a lie. Okay. Where did the lie come from? The father of lies. Huh. All right. Now go tell him. You know who you're following? I won't be cruel to you because I'm loving. You're just following Lucifer. 
Okay? They're going to accuse you of being unloving. And as soon as they do that, you can say, God knows. God knows. Why? If you bring truth to bear, it will confront. Always does. But it'll also exhort. And the word exhortation is really a cool word. It says, I'm going to come alongside you because I have a relationship to be alongside you. And I'm going to show you that what you're following is wrong. And this is the ditch that you're heading for. But I'm going to stay alongside you. As soon as you hit that ditch, I'll drag your butt out of it. That's exhortation. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people like to be told that you're headed for the ditch and what you're getting ready to do is a dog and its vomit? Well, that's not very loving. Okay, (laughs) go get you some puke and call me later. (laughs) I mean, what do you want me to do? Go to chapter 11, verse 30. One, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Why? God knows. Listen, your memories, your informations, and your conclusions, and yet God still knows truth. God knows that I love you. Just a little footnote on that. You understand that that's the highest appeals court? God. Paul already told him it doesn't matter what you think of me or what you judge me. It is God that I am concerned about. Paul says, what more can I say? I have lived among you. You have seen my life among you. I have taught you truth. I have walked with you in truth. I have guided you in truth. I have counseled you in truth. I've exhorted you in truth and I've confronted you with truth. And you would now say that I don't love you. Is it more loving to let them continue in a lie or to confront them with truth? Throughout this epistle, he ministers in the sight of God and in Christ Jesus. Why? Because when you see that statement, know that the Apostle Paul is now appealing to heaven, the high court of heaven. God knows I love you. Remember Peter? Jesus has been resurrected. They're sitting on the shore of Galilee. Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Okay, Agape is a self-sacrificial love that regardless of what happens or regardless of what the response is, I still love you. Okay, phileo means, man, you're a really cool friend. And he says, you know, I phileo you. And then he asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? You know all things, Lord. You know, I phileo you. Third time, Peter, do you phileo me? And he broke down and cried. But I want you to think about something because I left a little something out of that. When he answered with phileo over agape in the first one, what did he say? Go feed my sheep. 
When he did it the second time, what did he say? Feed my lambs. He get him the third time and he says, do you even phileo me? Tend my flock. Got it? Just be honest with yourself. Be honest about your level of love. Peter was trying to convince Jesus that he loved him. You know all things. You know that I love you. Paul's accusers had no limit to separate, to alienate the believers, to alienate the children from the Apostle Paul. They were going to do whatever it took to separate that bond. And so Paul's question is, I do not love you. God knows. Then later in chapter 11, what does he say? Why don't you love? Listen, this is the cry of the, the, Paul's heart. And me trying to explain to you my love is so far out of place. I mean, we were only together every day for three, two years. What would you like me to explain? What would you like me to prove to you? What would you like me to defend you in love? If I didn't love you, I would have never sent you the severe letter. If I didn't love you and see the response that Titus told me about, I wouldn't have wrote 2 Corinthians. Listen, this is the love of a spiritual father to his children. All right? You know that God designed the family that the father was the disciplinarian, right? That was the plan. All right? And if you've got kids, you've probably experienced this a time or two. The child will ask the mother, go ask your father. Okay? And then the child will come back without asking the father and say, Mom, he said it's all right. I know that nobody's ever dealt with that. It's just my evil children. Right? Or they'll play one against the other. Well, mom said I could if you said I could. Well, I don't think that's what your mother said. Okay? Because I've learned a long time ago, the kids hate to ask dad anything. And they'll always tell you, well, he's just not loving. And usually it was, no, dad is just broke. (laughs) Okay? And yet... How many, let me ask you a question. How many times have you been disciplined by fill in the blank? And at first you were just so grateful that you were brought under discipline. Huh? But how many times have you been brought under discipline and maybe some time passes that you realize, oh, that was for my benefit. And is that not what spiritual fathers do? There's three kind of people in the church. Infants, young men, and fathers. Okay? And spiritual fathers endure more than any individuals I've ever seen in my life. 
And yet they're still considered unloving. Why? They don't bargain on truth. Let's negotiate this. That isn't the way truth was written. So, when you think about the true or the false, you need to understand the mark of a true servant, a true preacher, a true teacher is humility. They are absorbed in truth. You know, as the truth of Christ is in me. All right, powerful statement. It's not, it's in my brain. I speak truth. It is all that I am, period. And I am loving as I stand before God. All right, because I, I can guarantee you that everyone in this room has a different view of what love is. But the only one that really counts is the Lord in heaven. What is his view of love? Okay. You can contrast that to so many today. They are prideful. They are lying, deceitful, and they are abusive. And this faithful spiritual father saw his children were listening to the pride, lying, abusive people. Okay. My prayer has been for Castle Rock Baptist Church for over 20 years that God would raise up humble, truthful, loving shepherds. Because the world is full of prideful, deceiving, abusive shepherds. And we don't need any more. And I know what they do to the flock. I've, this church has been through that so many times, I can't even count it. And you know what it all boils down to? Someone finally believes that I'm not loving. Why? Because I don't bra- embrace psychology? That makes me unloving? Why? Do I hold to a literal, authoritative Proclamation of this book that makes me unloving. I didn't say it's easy, but you know what, brothers and sisters, if you believe walking with Christ is easy, I got one question to ask you. Why did it take a cross? Charles Spurgeon lectures to my students. Why do we believe we should be carried out on the shoulders of men as great heroes and they carried our king out on a cross? Okay. Three marks of a true, humble, absorbed in truth, loving. We'll look at the rest in the weeks to come. Father, to you and you alone can raise up truthful, loving, humble servants. Father, I ask for those. Father, let each of us who walk with you stay there. Let us not be puffed up with our knowledge. Let us not be overwhelmed by our, an arrogant heart. And Father, may we, uh, may we look around at our brothers and sisters and realize that we will be spending eternity with these people. And the only thing that I can invest in that is eternal are these people. May we all know that. 
Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul. Um, I stand in awe of that man. And yet, Father, you say you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine. Begin with this little church. Expand us, Lord, that we may reach more in this world to the glory of the King. In humility, in truth, and in love. To you, my Lord and my Savior, in Christ's name. Amen.